This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, it's recording. Um, so we're going we're gonna to continue our review of Desert of Paradise in just a moment. I'm, I'm going to just talk about a, a couple of things here real quick. Um, did you guys see the, the pay it forward thing I attempted to do a couple of days ago? I did. I thought that was cool. Katie, now I'm here today with Opalyn and Katie. And so, Katie, did you see the, the pay it forward thing I attempted to do? Oh, no, I didn't. I was reading other things. Uh, sorry. I, okay. I didn't see nope. the email. So I, I, I tried to um, – basically, it's like, you know, Earth Day is just a few days away, and I kind of thought, oh, man, every Earth Day I get bombarded with people telling me about all the great things to do on Earth Day, like buy crappy light bulbs or, um, you know, buy crappy crap crap, you know, or their, their solutions are always about who to be angry at and things like that. And I just kind of felt like, oh, I, I because I'm getting all of this stuff, um, surely there, you know, I haven't reached enough people and, so anyway, I got this idea in my head that, um, like, part of it was is that if if the Building a Better World in Your Backyard book, uh, if it were to get into a million brains, I'm totally happy to let go of any profit whatsoever. Um, and so in the spirit of that, I kind of thought, well, what if I just make it free? And so... I set up a thing for five days where it would be completely free. And I said, you know, and I, I sent out an email saying, please pass this on as much as you can. And let's, let's see if we can infect enough brains and, and all before Earth Day. Um, uh, the results are in. It reached 520 people. <laughs> Not not five million, <laughs> five five hundred and twenty, uh, and I just kind of thought, oh, and I, I just had these high hopes that it was going to do this big, big thing, and it and it didn't. Um, but I mean, try a hundred things, two will work out. You never know in advance which two. So that thing, it didn't really work out. It did it? Did it worked and it didn't. It it, it did a little thing, but it didn't do a giant global change kind of a thing. Um, so, damn. Next thing up is that the Kickstarter is at, is almost $85,000. It has, it has come to a dead stop. It's, it's like not moving at all right now. Um, and, uh, uh, oh yeah, you're pulling it up so we can see it. Is it, Oh, look, there's an update for you. Um, so 
One of the things that we're going to do is uh, once it does hit 85,000, which could be today, uh, it could be, um, you know, in a few days or a week. It just moved. It did. It just now moved. Look at that. It's 84,352. Um, what we're going to do is uh, send out an update to let people know that, that we knocked out another stretch goal. Uh, I believe that will take us up to 15 stretch goals um, that, that have been hit. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to tell everybody that um, – uh, if you if you're at the sixty five dollar uh, backer level or higher, that um, we're going to invite you to participate in a webinar or um, uh, basically just a Zoom call about the permaculture apples for Safeway thing, and uh, um, and we'll we'll hopefully put it to the podcast stream eventually. Uh, so. We'll, we'll try that. Here, here's an interesting thing, and I'm going to share this thing, and maybe people will, um, you know, post comments on the podcast page or something to, to tell me uh, the answers to these things or give me some clarity. But um, uh, with the Kickstarter, in, we've sent out several emails about it, and in one of the emails we said uh, we, we sent it out about the Kickstarter, and uh, 21,000 people opened the email. It went to 100,000 people. 21,000 people opened the email. And um, we have currently, I think, I think we have like uh, 1,700 backers right now, something like that. So 21,000 people opened it. And we have less than 2,000 backers, and that's, that's like, okay, people could, like, come and look and be like, nah, don't want to. Um, but here's the thing that kind of gets me, is that only 2,200 people have watched the video. So, like, 21,000 people opened the email, but 90% of them didn't even look at the Kickstarter page, let alone the, the video. Um, I'm, I'm a little, a little baffled by that, um, because I do feel like the skip book stuff can be a little hard to understand. Um, so I, I feel like the video does a really good job of, of clearing that up. Uh, I have a question. Oh, yes, Katie. I'm not remembering exactly the email, because I, I look at them and then I look at a different email. But I feel like it's possible that there that you could put like a, exactly what we're seeing now, basically, not the stuff on the right, but the picture of the video with a little play button. In, and like, so they see the video, and they could click on it, and it would like play that it links to the video, you know, directly. Is that is that something that could be put in your email, or is that like too hard for the system, or was it there and I just forgot? I am thinking that it might be good um, for one of our upcoming emails that go out to make a link to like the YouTube video, which for most people, they'll kind of, it'll display the, the YouTube thumbnail. Um, and maybe that'll help. Maybe it'll make a difference. Um, Could you do it right to the Kickstarter? Not really, maybe? Well, we've provided a link to the Kickstarter with each of the emails, but in the particular email I'm talking about, there was a link to the Kickstarter. 
Um, well, I mean, I mean the video that like takes them to the Kickstarter video. I'm just saying oh. sometimes we used to have to really like some people are a little distracted, so you have to hand whatever you want them to do on a a, a very silvery platter, just <laughs> so that like it was it was very very close to being able to be grabbed and eaten. And so if they're already on the Kickstarter page, they're just a little bit closer. No, no, you're you're right, and um, uh, all of all of our mail stuff at Permis is uh, set up to do strictly text only right now. And um, I mean, we could we have talked about transitioning to something that's being as HTML, but it was uh, a few years ago that the HTML-based emails uh, were considered to be more likely to be spam. And so we made the choice to stick to plain text. And then, uh, then it kind of got to be an edge case. And, uh, we just, we just kind of felt like we liked the plain text better. So we stuck to plain text. But you're right. Um, a lot of people are used to getting images in their emails now. And if they don't have images, it's kind of like, they, they, it's easier to, they just choose to ignore it. Like, nah, yeah, I, I didn't see anything colorful in there, so I'm going to ignore it. So, uh, maybe that's something we gotta, we, we need to amend before the next Kickstarter. But, um, we don't have a way of doing it this way. All right. The, the thing is, of course, I would love for people to, uh, to give me advice on how to do better at all of this. I, I just kind of found this little tidbit of information and, and it really kind of blew me away. Um, you know, 21,000 people opened the email and only about 10% of those people, and for all time, in fact, that was 21,000 for one email and we've sent out several. And for all time, only 2,200 people have even watched the video. And so I'm just kind of thinking that's, that's mind boggling to me, but maybe people Maybe there'll be somebody who will help me to understand that, that they know more about it than I do. Uh, next thing is, is that uh, we have successfully expanded the boot camp. So for years, the boot camp was limited to six people. I think last year we had a moment where we allowed this person and that person and this other person, and we had 17 people here, and it was just way too crowded. Um, and so what we've done is we've divided the boot camp into two boot camps, one up at the lab and one at base camp. And we're um, also we've also taken steps to further uh, divide the boot camp so that there could be three or even four different boot camps um, with multiple leaders and et cetera, et cetera. So we we are currently have the capacity to handle twenty or more boots in the boot camp very comfortably. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm feeling like this is a big accomplishment for us. I'm really excited about it. I'm really kind of feeling like it's going to help to um, move our forward velocity in a strong way. Oh, and here's a huge thing. Um, uh, somebody who is wishes to be anonymous, as, you know, which will become clear why in a moment, um, uh, loves the pictures and stuff in the boot camp and what we're doing and all that stuff and has put up $30,000. And, and it's like, uh, like they've actually sent that money to me and, and I now have it. 
and and it's for uh, the BRK. Um, and so for the next three boots that get 700 BRK posts, they will get $10,000 each. Uh, wow. Yeah. So if you've been here, so basically what his thinking was is that after being in the boot camp for two years, you get your acre. And uh, so he kind of thought, well, it'd be handy to have some money for, you know, tools and materials and things of that nature to, to kind of get your start on your acre. Um, and he enjoys the, the BRK posts. So he has put up this, this enormous amount of money. Uh, further, um, I, am uh, currently paying 200 bucks a video for people who edit up videos who are in the boot camp. They edit up videos for me to be used on my YouTube channel. And I'm hoping that that'll help to, to get my YouTube channel really rolling again. But, uh, so the, I just wanted to make a quick note that the boot camp has expanded. And more than that, um, I recently sent out a thing on the, uh, the waiting list because the boot camp has a waiting list and um, uh, there's like 30 people on the waiting list and I sent them all an email and I said who can be here in three weeks and one person replied so I kind of feel like um, if a person felt like they wanted to race right out here to the boot camp and be out here right away that that is very plausible uh, so I, I kind of feel like this is a, a a really good time to be in the boot camp. We, we've got spots now because we've expanded it. And there's lots of coin. I mean, right now I think most of the boot camp, too, this is another thing, is that most of the people that are here in the boot camp now are going to be attending the summer events, PDC, uh, the PDJ, and uh, the skip event. And um, so they're going to be attending all of those. And so it's kind of like, well, don't we need to have some people still in the boot camp while this is happening? And so um, uh, I, I'm really hoping that we'll get a few more people in the boot camp. Uh, last item, um, the permaculture, speaking of the PDJ, the, the permaculture technology jamboree is really panning out to be quite the, uh, the super event. Um, we, it's, I mean, I think we we did record a podcast a year ago before the pandemic stuff, and so uh, and we and we canceled that event. But um, it's it's a we're going with the same general thing. We've got a ton of instructors lined up, ten tracks of stuff, um, and uh, I don't know. I think that there's going to be probably something on the order of one hundred. Like classes, some of the things that are going on are going to be like this thing takes the full two weeks. And then um, I think there's a bunch of stuff where it's like two hours per thing. Um, so many different things going on at the same time. So um, I, I mention it because we are perpetually polishing it and working on it. We got like a new instructor lined up this week and, and um, some of the, uh, stuff is getting nudged around here and there, and we're ordering all the materials. And um, uh, I'm seeing some of the designs of some of the things that are going to be built during the event. Um, it just sounds like 
a massive, it's going to be, I, I, I feel like this is going to be the foundation for something much larger next year. This is, I'm just kind of feeling like this is the kind of event I really want to do every year. Like this will be the coolest. All right. Now, uh, do you guys, do you guys want to have anything to say about any of that stuff? Kickstarter, Expanded Bootcamp, and PDJ. I'm ready I, to move into Desert of Paradise. What? Go ahead. Yeah, I just think it's super exciting. Like the um, PDJ is, I don't think I got that right. PTJ. Yeah. And yeah. 10 different tracks. Like you can spend the whole two weeks working with the, the solar powered glass production. And I'm just like, wow. Or you can spend a lot of time in the skip track or the homesteading track and work on a lot of EVs if that's your focus. So there's just so many options. I think it's amazing. Um, I'll be there. I'm excited. We, I remember, I know one instructor has been saying something like, uh, uh, like he's, he's, he, he, at the beginning when we first started talking about it, he really struggled with the format. And, I, and the format goes like this. Um, anybody who's here at any time, can wander around to any of the things that are going on and um, they can uh, observe or participate in anything or they could even go sit on their butt somewhere and watch the clouds pass if they really want to. <laughs> and it's like, it's all good. So it's like there will be 10 different builds happening simultaneously on every day. And, um, Possibly even more. I mean, knowing the way a lot of these guys do stuff. But you just wander around to whatever seems interesting to you, whatever seems like a good time. And then that's going to be, and you could either just watch or um, you could visit with others or you can jump right in. Now, one of, one of the instructors was like, well, I, you know, I have like a half hour of safety course that has to happen before this. And what if they miss on the safety course? And I said, Oh no. If you're, you're going to take this thing on and then somebody new comes along and they haven't heard the safety thing, then you're going to have to, and they want to participate. You need to take a moment and guide them in through the proper safety, you know, and, but it's like this guy's used to teaching classes with like 25 people. And I'm saying there's probably going to be at any one build, at any one time, there's probably only going to be four to eight people. And so it's, it's not, it's not that hard. It'll be, it'll be a cakewalk. You'll see. Oh yeah, there's Opalin. There's a picture of Opalin right there. Um, so, uh, um, it's like, you know, make it be safe. Keep the safety at a hundred percent. You know, but you might have to, to when a person will wander up and want to participate and say, you could you totally say, okay, we got to chat a little bit about safety stuff before you get going, okay? And that's like, uh, but when you're doing just one-on-one, it goes a lot faster. And so it won't be, it, it'll, it'll be cool. You'll see. <laughs> so, um, all right. Anything else about these three things before we go into desert or paradise? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. Before we start to review the stuff that we have read for today, I wanna I wanna uh, read 
a comment that appeared on YouTube. And, um, uh, and so I believe that this person is addressing, because in our last podcast we talked about my strategy for, um, like, my alternative to the monk. So I designed my alternative to the monk before I understood about Sep's monk. And I, I think it is plausible that there could be values to my design over the monk. But, you know, I, I kind of feel like I wish that uh, Sep would uh, take a moment to look at it and give me feedback other than catastrophe, which is, you know, <laughs> style. But usually the way I could tell that Sep likes my idea is it shows up later in one of his books. <laughs> but, uh, all right, the comment was, so many problems with the middle drain. And so my design was, is that um, there would be a poly pipe with like a hundred holes drilled into it, and it would be wrapped in a screen. Um, and then it would have uh, uh, a, a three-foot-long cord with a rock attached to the other end, and it would also have like a piece of poly pipe with, a, with air in it attached to it. So then the intake would be held at about three feet above the bottom of the pond. So many problems with the middle drain. Impossible to clean out without scuba gear. All right, so Katie in Oakland. Let's suppose, first of all, it plugged. Oh, no, it it plugged. Are you going to be able to get to it without scuba gear? Well, these ponds and lakes aren't 100 feet deep, and it's not permanently affixed. It's weighted with a rock, and it's designed to float at, at such a point in a lake that it's unlikely to encounter things that would clog it until the lake gets really low. I'm going to guess it's going to be about six or seven feet deep because it's not too far away from the dam. So it's six or seven feet deep, and yeah, it's just got a rock attached to it. As an inexperienced surface diver, I dove ten foot on, like, my third try and retrieved something from the bottom of a swimming pool. <laughs> so, no, I, I would say no need for gear. Okay. Katie? Well, the, the thing is that I think in your podcast you mentioned that you have a hose that you can put in the lake and drain out some of the lake. So I probably wouldn't die for it. <clears throat> I probably would drain it until I get access. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, there's that too. Um, but let's let's continue on, and we'll circle back to this one about the scuba gear. Floating debris will clog it every fall. Okay, and, and I'm going to say, no. <laughs> I mean, when you've got it at the top, like the monk, it's that's where you're at risk of having floating debris clog it. But one of the beautiful things about my design is it's kind of pulling the water out in the same way that you pull water out of a septic tank. All the floaties yeah. have floated and all the sinkers have sunk. And so you're pulling water out of the middle where the water is the most clear. So... Now, I'm, I'm open to the idea that this design 
could potentially still gum up and plug. And in which case, it, w- it would need to be cleaned. But, and further, I've only built one of these. I built this one time on Mount Spokane years ago, and I have no idea how it performed over these years. But I gotta say that, I mean, there's an emergency overflow that's really huge. So, I mean, I'm not worried about the pond overflowing or anything like that. Um, it's, it's like, you know, the function of this is to add oxygen back into water for when the water is just moving just a trickle, which was the case in this particular pond. There was just a trickle of water that would come into the pond because it's a, it's a seasonal, it was a seasonal dribble of water. Okay. Um, loading debris will clog it every fall, and that huge elbow in the dam will be hard, will be a hard stop to snake the drain. So I kind of feel like I think that there's so many filters on the intake, I don't think that's going to plug. I, um, I'm, I just want to make sure I understand your design. It's using, like, two or three-inch diameter, but basic hardware store plumbing parts that are used yeah. in the one, two, three, and four-inch diameter in every house. And you can snake all the way to the septic tank. So you're not putting four elbows in it to change the direction. That would be a hard stop for a snake. Yeah, and it was a real gentle one too. And I'm not even—I don't think I even want to talk about snaking it. You know, yeah. no, don't don't snake it. Uh, but it's like there's no elbow there. It's it's a very gradual thing. So basically, I have um, a straight two-inch pipe, um, and then I've got a reducer going down to my one-inch poly right. pipe, and then I just lay it on the dam in such a way that the two-inch poly pipe goes over the apex and is starting to go downhill again into the pond where it gets to the reducer. And so there's no elbow. It's just a very gradual bit of water. But I've got the screen on the intake, which I think is going to keep any chunky bits from getting in there. And so um, also... You are draining right at the fish level. Your population will collapse. Every spawn since the fry are way too weak to not be siphoned. And I kind of feel like, I think that the screen is going to keep them out pretty good. I think, I think the screen will be extremely thorough at, at, uh, keeping them from going down, going, going through. And it's and plus, he's using the word siphoned. There's no siphon. That's why it goes to a bigger pipe is to prevent siphoning. So um, it it has about the same amount of flow as something would over a rock line spillway. Exactly. Like I'm I'm trying to I mean, comprehend this post and it's not making sense to me. So it's, I'll just let it's it not make sense. It's kind of like it's a teeny tiny piped seal, a uh, spillway of sorts with stuff to prevent anything from siphoning. I, when I saw this, I felt like there was seven things wrong with this statement. 
And so, but clearly this person did make it through to get to this point. And it's like somehow I was not being clear. There were, there were bits of information that I, I must not have said so that this person got this. So what the, the image in their head was different from what I was attempting to express. And so I felt like it was important to basically use this post to um, provide clarity and in, in, in what I'm saying. So, okay, so it goes back up. I'm going to go back up to um, floating debris will clog it every fall. Or was that the one or is it what the, the one with the scuba gear? Impossible to clean out without scuba gear. So um, I, I feel like I, I feel like it won't need to be cleaned out. Like, I, I would like to think it'll continue to work um, without the need to, to clean it ever. But I, I suppose it's possible that, that it could get gummed up with something. Like um, um, algae, maybe. maybe. Maybe algae will start to wrap all over it and gum it all up. In which case we'll stop, and then we gotta pull it out and and, uh, and de algae it. But I kind of feel like if you've got algae in your pond, I think you need to solve that problem. Um, and that's going to be adding a lot of carbon into your pond, which is going to be probably a lot of stump wood, a lot of logs. Uh, the old school way is to add a bale of barley straw. Uh, you could add other kinds of straw, but I I think that uh, the you know, the best stuff to do is to add sticks and logs and things like that. Um, I know Seth uses a lot of stump wood. Um, all right. Uh, floating debris will clog it. Nope, I don't think so. And there's no – the huge elbow in the dam will be hard to stop to snake the drain. There's no elbow. Uh, also, you are draining right up, right at the fish level. Yes, I am. Uh, actually, it depends on the fish I'm draining at a level that's kind of low down, so there's less oxygen and it's colder. And some fish are kind of into that, but most fish are not. Your population will collapse every spawn. I think that the that the small fish prefer the warmer, shallower water, and and the, and also the warmer, shallower, more oxygen-rich water. I don't think I don't think the small fish tend to go down to the deeper parts. All right. So, um, any any questions about this uh, this YouTube comment? I guess I could see um, a rat who likes water slides climbing up the other side and making it a nest annoyingly in the in the pipe somewhere. But actually, you didn't talk about, or maybe I didn't remember um, how you handle the other end, the outlet end. Is it just is it captaining it, or is it just open? Is it under the water in the next one, ideally? Actually, uh, the design that I made was is that there'd be a wood trough, and that um, the water would drain into the top of the wood trough, and the wood trough would carry it to the next pond down. So that way, there'd be water piddling into the wood trough, thus getting a good oxygen exchange in the water, and then it would travel down the trough and then dribble into the pond, giving it even more oxygen exchange. So you're you're that's cool. I I I could see how some animal might be thinking about you know trying to get up there, but I would I would think that it's not 
it's not very hospitable for an animal in any way, I don't think. But you're right. It's possible an animal could get up there and plug it. It's true. I just, I guess, but I, I, I know that with the one I had, I went several months of it operating without any problems whatsoever before going away from it. I, I do remember that I had a few other designs I did with my pond that are a bit different than what Sep talks about with his pond designs. Um, and my, and I heard a report from somebody that was there the following fall or spring, the following spring, I think it was. Yeah, the following spring. And they said the whole pond was just, it had turned completely black. Clear, but black. And then when you would walk up to it, suddenly the water would just turn clear right there. And the blackness was millions of polywogs. And uh, uh, I kind of feel like millions of polywogs is a powerfully awesome indicator of having made an excellent pond. That is, yeah, I agree. Because they're one of the more susceptible to all the toxic gick in the world. Yes. Yes. So That's great. Yeah, I... I really don't think there would be any problem in clearing it out, and you definitely would not need a scuba suit clearing it out, even if you got a rare case wrapped. Yeah, I I kind of feel like um, I kind of feel like the only thing I could think of that might plug it at all would be algae, and um, I I kind of feel like if you do have algae, then then you got to you need to solve your algae problem really. Then, you know, peel the algae off. Um, have I, have I told you guys, if I, if I mentioned in the podcast the pa- in the past about my story of Sep and the moss? Yes. yes. <laughs> That's a great okay. story. All right. All right. So I don't, I don't need to embarrass myself again by telling that one. All right. I'm ready to, to move on with bits from the book. So. We start on page 82, cooperation with animals in and around the water. I reject intensive animal husbandry. This holds true for water landscapes. The vegetation and surrounding environment suffer from over-exploitation. The animals do not thrive when overcrowded. They get stressed and sick. Now, when I first stocked my first pond, uh, there was a guy a couple hours away, and then um, I got a huge tank, and I put it uh, in the back of my truck, and I went to this guy's place, and I bought a whole bunch of uh, rainbow trout. And he had, I don't know, eight or nine ponds full of different kinds of trout and uh but he had all kinds of bubblers in there and each pond had way too many fish in there but you know i had the kids with me so they did what they do for kids is they grab a handful of the the feed you know the fish feed and they pitch it in there 
and the fish, you know, go into a wild frenzy trying to get at it. And so the the whole pond kind of comes to life with all these fish trying to get at the fish food. But, I mean, it's like the fish were packed in those ponds so tight. It's like uh, I would uh, – I'm going to make a guess that for that that a good 20% of the volume of the pond was fish. And um, – so, I mean, they are on top of each other. It is just nuts how packed they are. Um, I mean, if that guy didn't sell enough fish, I, I suppose a bunch of them might end up dying from, uh, you know, because they get bigger and bigger and bigger. The other thing is, is that my understanding is, is that what they call fish feed is, is some pretty gross stuff. So, um, uh, like, like, it doesn't, it's not going to meet our values. Whereas with Sep, he just stocks his pawns to much, much lower value, and it's kind of like, he doesn't feed them anything. So, they, all they've got are the insects that happen to find their way over to the ponds, or uh, whatever other stuff that the fish can eat, and that's it. If they can't, if if, if they can't get by on that, they're going to be skinny fish. The end. That's all it is. All right. Um, next up is pike in the carp pond. So he talks about fish stocking levels, and he and he's emphatic about how the 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 levels have to be low enough that they can sustain themselves. But then he talks talks about pike in the carp pond. Now, um, I've heard Sepp speak so many times, and I kept wondering if he's saying pike and it means some other variety of fish. Because every time he says carp, I keep thinking of goldfish and koi, you know, these ornamental fish that people keep. They're a type of carp. But when he says pike, I'm kind of thinking, like, does he mean something else? Like, is this a translation thing? But uh, so I went and I looked it up today for the first time ever. And uh, and it's like, oh, okay. So pike and carp are both uh, uh, fish that are, you know, pretty popular in Asia and in Europe. And, and most carp are considered um, uh, to be bad news in North America. And so they, they're trying to get rid of them. Uh, they're considered invasive. Um, but, yeah, uh, so Opalin's bringing up some pictures of uh, pike. They are an odd-looking fish there. I don't recall ever catching a fish that looks anything like this. <laughs> Clearly, how do you a predator that? fish. What? Katie? Have you seen the, the movie, the animated movie, The Stone? Uh, it's an old movie. Uh, part of the movie, they are The Sword in the Stone by Disney. It's an animated Disney. And part of the movie, they are chased by a pike. If you were a young, that pike is a scary pike. Okay. That's the one where King Arthur is a boy named Wart, right? Yes. Yeah. 
So um, I I did that a long time ago. I still remember there was a squirrel, um, but uh, oh, I guess it was far too long ago. I can't remember all the details. The important thing is is that a pike is a is a predator fish. I believe that a carp is a vegetarian fish, and so um, but uh, so that the carp is going to be uh, eating a uh, a variety of uh, plants, and then the pike is going to want to eat the carp. And so now I don't feel so bad because. When I looked all this stuff up earlier, it was kind of like, oh, these these are fish that are not native to the area, not common to the area, and uh, um, and I imagine that there's a bunch more to learn about them that I don't know yet. But uh, um, still, the, it does make this this next bit is something that can that applies for any kind of aquaculture scenario. As always, diversity wins. It is possible to keep predatory and non-predatory fish in the same pond, especially when the pond is extensively used. People often ask, how does that work? Pike and carp in the same pond? The pike will eat all the carp. Nonsense. (laughs) This does not happen in nature either. Fish live off each other but they do not exterminate each other. Only in a rectangular or circular pond with the same depth everywhere and no roots or rocks would this happen. Because the non-predatory fish would not have anywhere to hide. To keep the balance, the habitat needs to be diverse, giving each fish the living conditions they need to thrive. I create whole hills made of stones on the bed of the lake. I add tree trunks, even whole trees, and keep the vegetation along the banks diverse. This way, the young fish and non-predatory fish find enough spaces to hide. Some of the young fish serve as food for the predatory fish, but the other ones are for market and to stock the pond. The fittest survive, and the system thrives. Birds also benefit from a mixed fish stock. Even big fish can get eaten by an otter, but the damage is limited with a diverse stock compared to a pond where all the fish are equally big and heavy. All right. Um, any, any comments about that bit? Next up is... Gro- I really like he, how he talks. Go ahead, Oplin. Sorry, I wasn't sure if my mute button was on or off. I really like how he talks about diversity. And when I was studying rivers, there's the river of water, which is all we think about. And then there's the river of trees. And then there's the river of rock that gets moved. And so having rocks and trees and vegetation and different types of fish, which will bring different other predators, like, as always, diversity wins. Right, right, right. And uh, I, I think not only does diversity win, but if you try to have something that looks like it's designed for a park, 
then um, that's that's a big fail. Um, nature nature has all kinds of trees and rocks and um, all kinds of stuff in the water, and and that's what we need it to look like. Much more right. like this one. Yes. Yeah. Something something that looks untidy. Something that looks like, you know, it could like people might think of it as a big mess. See that one there, that one looks too tidy to me. I'd like to see more trees like in the water than what that picture is showing. All right. Uh growth control. If I have a lake or pond which is connected to other open water, especially if it has a drainage system, I must make sure not to keep fish which could spread and harm the flora and fauna of the natural surroundings. This is obvious. These are non-native fish without natural predators. The drain needs to be protected to make sure that the fish will not swim in or out of the fishery. This prevents unwanted or sick fish settling in my pond and stops my fish from from migrating elsewhere. There's no connection to other water systems, and the lake is only fed by rain and or groundwater. This is not necessary. All right. I I think that sounds like he's covering his ass in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it's totally true. Um, I know that there are uh, some lakes in Montana that are struggling with um, a bunch of introduced species of fish, and they're wiping out the existing populations. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget... Go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.